Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 53 of the Tilted Lawyer podcast, where we're going to be recapping and reviewing episode three, season two of the Natalia Grace documentary. And we are going to expose uh, Christina Barnett's grandmaster plan to rid herself of Natalia forever. So you're going to stick around. We're about to do this. Let's get started. Whatever you might be going through and wherever you might be, this is Omar Serrano with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. I'm here to take your mind off of things. Yes, I'm an attorney. No, I'm not giving you legal advice. I want to sit and talk like people as these are the candid thoughts of one practicing attorney and it's after hours. So have a seat. Feel free to have a drink and join me. Let's get started. All right, welcome back. And I have in studio with me for the first time in about five or six months since she's been absent on maternity leave. Now the mother to a four month old baby um, who was made famous on our last episode, (laughs) incidentally, because Dominic forgot to take her out of the editing. But um, welcome back, Ileana Rosa, to discuss uh, the Natalia Grace Barnett documentary. It's good to see you. And uh, you're looking well and healthy and uh, properly exhausted, I'd imagine. (laughs) And um, but uh, we are here to talk about Natalia Grace. And if you've been following along, we've covered episodes one and two. Um, We have episodes three and four releasing this week. Next week, we're going to conclude that and we're going to get started on some other thing. I think what we have next in the pike is Gypsy Rose, although there's been some other stuff that's been suggested and requested. We'll cover all of those things. But today is all about exposing the plan of Christina Barnett to rid herself of Natalia Grace forever. So if you recall, last week um, in episode two, they talked all about how initially Christine had this plan where she was going to position herself as the adoption whisperer. Mm -hmm. She was going to take Natalia Grace Barnett and turn her into a genius the same way that she had taken credit for turning her son Jacob Mm -hmm. into a genius. Um, And if you recall, um, I had misspoke on last week's podcast. I had said that he had mental deficits. He did not. He was diagnosed autistic. Yes, autistic. But there was no mental deficit. He just, Mm -hmm. he's on the spectrum somewhere. Mm -hmm. I have a daughter that's on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean deficit. Um, But he was by all accounts and is still by all accounts, um, has exceptional uh, mental faculties. Mm -hmm. He's a genius. Yes. Christine had taken credit for all of those things. And when Natalia was falling short of expectations, well, she had to devise a plan to get rid of her because Mm -hmm. she's becoming this huge monetary drain finances. Natalia needed a number of surgeries. She required specialized equipment. And if you recall her uh, shoes, Mm -hmm. the the boots that she was wearing cost $30,000 by herself. When I heard that, I was like, that's like a car. Yes. Pretty much, you know, like, I mean, and it the surgeries was not cheap and the surgeries and I don't know what kind of health insurance mm-hmm. they had, but Christine was just over with it. Mm-hmm. So episode three, it starts off with the fallout from Michael's temper tantrum. You remember yes. when they're doing the big <laughs> sit down and then they started to get into conversation about questions he didn't want to get into. Mm-hmm. And then Antoine's very heroically, Antoine man, mm-hmm. very heroically uh, stands up and to defend Natalia's honor and says, you will not curse um, in this house. We will respect God in this house. And in this interview, 
and um, going in on Michael. And Michael's like uh, perplexed. And then he goes into full on tantrum mode, mm -hmm. breaks down. I tried, I tried, I tried. And he makes this huge spectacle. And Antoine is like uh, puffing out his chest. Terrence, <laughs> uh, Terrence, the lawyer, is over there puffing out his chest and trying to give. It was just a mess. It yes. was a wreck. I don't recall. Well, not that I don't recall. On the documentary itself, mm -hmm. I don't know what the curse word was. I assumed that they no. had edited it out. But in the comments, a lot of you had suggested that the curse word that he was speaking of was hell, which mm -hmm. didn't even register to me as a curse word. Yes. Um, but it triggered something in Natalia where she mm -hmm. commented on it, and then Antoine wanted to talk about it. So um, I, I didn't know, but I'm assuming it was either the word hell or something that was edited out by the production. Mm -hmm. We're never going to know because as we've already discussed, this documentary is um, obnoxiously produced mm -hmm. and edited and cut and pasted and put together. Um, but they talk about, they start with that. And then Beth Karras comes on um, and she talks about how the Barnetts after realizing that Natalia was going to be this huge financial drain that it wasn't going to fit in their narrative where they were going to be able to profit off of her success um, as a prospective genius that was mm -hmm. never going to be, they came up with a plan. Whether they, whether or not they came up with the plan or whether or not they just tried a few different things, yes. who knows, but they tried a few different things. And namely, they wanted to have her looked at as a criminal, get her locked up mm -hmm. for criminal liability. Um, there was get her locked up in a mental institution. Mm -hmm. And then there was uh, Get a Reage, which ultimately they were successful in doing. We're going to explain, try to shed a little bit of light on how that specifically went down. And it's significant because the criminal cases took place. Um, I had addressed, myself and Ileana had addressed the criminal cases and why uh, Christine was able to beat criminal charges and why subsequently Michael was able to beat criminal mm -hmm. charges. Um, and... A lot of it has to do with what happened in an ex-party emergency petition that was filed by the Barnetts for the explicit purpose of re-aging Natalia mm -hmm. from age 8 to age 22, switching her birthday from 2003 to 1989. The reason for the, for the uh, emergency, um, if you read the petition and some of the other letters that were used as evidence uh, to support their petition... It was based on if she's an adult, she needs to be treated as an adult, and we can't do it with her aged at eight years old. If mm -hmm. she needs adult medications, that's a very different treatment. That was the reason for the expedited petition, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why it was granted in the way that it did without Natalia having any representation. And I'll talk, I'm going to touch a little bit on that, not as in depth, because we only got so much time. Mm -hmm. um, but this was the plan. So they had showed... This deposition that happened on March 20, 2023, referenced it a number of times um, where they had interviewed specifically Michael. And they were asking him uh, different stuff. They asked him, did you ever confront Natalia about the potential for having a menstrual cycle? He'd, mm -hmm. he'd been talking about eating her period. And it was like, they have the same word. What do you mean eating her period? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Whatever. So Michael kind of explains it. Um, and what Michael said was that um, Natalia had at some point after the adoption, upon him confronting her about it, says that uh, I have a period and I've been hiding it from you because mm -hmm. I didn't want you to know 
And how did he hide it? Well, she said that as it would trickle down her leg, she would scoop up the remnants and consume it. And then uh, that's how she went about it. And then they flashed yes. to Natalia. And then she's like, Tal's like, um, that's disgusting. Yes, WTF, you know? <laughs> what are you even talking about? Um, I don't know. I don't, who came up with that story? Was it Christine? Was it Michael? Uh, is there any truth to it? I don't know. I've already discussed, um, and I, I feel like I keep on having to mention this, because the people, there is a contingent, a small contingent of people that feel inclined to defend the Barnetts mm -hmm. on the basis that perhaps Natalia's behavior justified, maybe not all, but mm -hmm. some of what transpired at the Barnett's house, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, and, you know, they keep on trying to harp on Natalia's uh, behavioral tendencies, whatever she might've mm -hmm. been doing. Uh, my take on all of that is given everything that she's been yes, through, all the trauma. I don't think that, you know, she's the one that should be under the microscope here. Mm -hmm. Sure, we've seen and we've discussed all the, the, the bad behavior that we've witnessed in minor children, but the way that the courts and the family courts in California and the dependency courts in California and the juvenile courts in mm -hmm. California, there is a reason why there is a juvenile system and an adult system. Yes. When you're tried as an adult, it's very different when you're tried from, as a juvenile. Mm -hmm. They recognize that you're not fully developed and your, your frontal lobe and it takes a little while and you might have been or experienced certain things that might cause you to behave certain ways. And so they don't hold you as accountable um, as they would an adult who should know better. Exactly. So I, do, I no longer subscribe to any possibility that Natalia was an adult. Mm -hmm. It's just not yeah. the case. They re-aged her on the basis of one family doctor's letter to the judge who unequivocally stated that Natalia was fooling the system and there was multiple doctors that had suggested that Natalia was lying about her age when in fact there was not multiple no. doctors. There was exactly one and it happened to be the family doctor of the Barnetts. And on the strength of that one letter, mm -hmm. the judge takes that in an emergency petition and reages her to 22. That's just crazy. That's probably like one of those doctors that gives out uh, doctor's notes. Just oh, yeah. Without For sure. Yeah. For sure. I'm sure lots of doctors do yeah. that. I don't think it's exclusive to him. But I, I know he, he did make an appearance on this, on this episode. Um, and he sort of kind of explained himself. I would have loved to have heard the full interview, but mm -hmm. the snippet that they took out of it was, um, yeah, I had a relationship with the Barnetts and their influence kind of influenced my letter and it changed things. They didn't really follow up on that. So I don't know if that was taken out of context. I just know that that's the snippet that they included mm -hmm. in the documentary. But I read the letter. I'm going to go over an excerpt that was taken directly from that letter that was published on the show. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about that. But Natalia's behavior... Um, her age, we talked about her baby teeth and a lot of you mm -hmm. said, oh, well, I'm 48 years old and I got baby teeth. Still, so like, oh, okay. So maybe mm -hmm. that's not definitive, mm -hmm. even though the dentist said there's no way that a child is, is going to have, or an All adult those. is going to have this, um, x-ray that mm -hmm. she had. I think she had 12 baby teeth and mm -hmm. adult teeth underneath. Um, and a lot of you would chime in and say, well, I got like some of my baby teeth or whatever, but not 12. Exactly. Never mind that there was a DNA analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, that had definitively, not through her bone structure, because it's it's well known, it's common her knowledge yeah. that her condition distorts an aging through mm -hmm. the bone structure. Fair enough. But there was a DNA test that went through hundreds of different DNA markers 
to approximate an age within a couple of standard deviations of what it would be. So meaning you're going to have, it's going to be accurate within, you know, a couple of years. And they had placed her at 22 when her, if she's born in 2003, she would have been 1989, mm-hmm. not 89, 2003. Um, so she was 20 years old. The DNA said she might be 22, mm-hmm. but 20 is reasonable. Yes. It's within the, the, the confines yeah. of the test. What she is not is 35 mm-hmm. or whatever she would have been. Exactly. And so I've seen enough evidence where I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're dealing with a present day mm-hmm. uh, 21-year-old right now. Yeah. Um, and at the time that all of this was going on, she would have been six to 10 years old. Um, so a child. So therefore, was she, might she have had behavioral issues and have already addressed? Probably, mm-hmm. likely. And there's probably some truth to a lot of the things that have been said about her through uh, third party accounts and all of those things. I don't care. Because the question is, did the Barnetts come up with this plan and have her re-aged by misleading the courts, which... It doesn't look like they misled anybody. It just mean it, it just looks like they did not give all the information. Yes. <laughs> which is perfectly reasonable to do. It's not their responsibility to give all the information. There's usually an opposing side. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, perfect example. Mm-hmm. Just the other day, I had a case where one parent was alleging um, that uh, my client mm-hmm. had crimes on his record. Okay. Um, and I just simply told the judge, Your Honor, I'm aware of zero convictions on the mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. um, my clients mm-hmm. that are drug related, which mm-hmm. is completely true. He hadn't yeah. been convicted of anything. Had he been arrested, though? Sure. But it's not my job to ask that question. It's their job to ask exactly. that question, you know? And there's a reason why there wasn't convictions. And so, but that's an example mm-hmm. of that. And so, I can't even say that just the fact that just that one letter was submitted was fraud per se. Mm-hmm. But there's other stuff that we have to go off of, which is what we're going to talk about. And so before I get too far off the, the, the game plan, um, <laughs> the uh, episode three, it goes into the whole story about Christine forcing Natalia to wear a tampon. Yes. Beth Karras jumps on there and she talks about the deposition of Michael and she talks about the financial difficulties and she talks about... Um, well, we have this plan. Maybe we could re-age her. And in the course of re-aging her, you know, therefore we wouldn't be on the hook for her care, her surgeries and all that kind of stuff. We could get rid of her. So Beth Karras suggests that that was the plan. And now they're going to take this plan into action. One of the prongs of that process was to force um, Natalia to wear a tampon. Mm-hmm. And so they go into this whole story about Natalia saying, she forced me to put a tampon. I told her that I can't, I can't do it. And she just kept on telling me that I need to put it in. Um, And then she made me ultimately put it in. She was really upset and angry and forcing me to Mm -hmm. do all of this stuff. And when I took it out, there was blood on the tampon. And then she goes, you see, Mm -hmm. you are on your period. You're 22 years old. And she's trying to basically groom Natalia into convincing Mm -hmm. not just uh, the world, but Natalia herself that she's an adult and um, start telling other people, Natalia, start telling other people that Mm -hmm. she's 22 years old to corroborate her story, which if she wasn't, I don't know, you were also an attorney. Mm -hmm. Would you classify this specifically the act of forcing a child to wear a tampon against their will as an act of sexual assault? Probably. Why? 
Mira, <laughs> it's, first of all, it's traumatizing. It is, there's so many crimes that exist that are in the same range. Like if an adult does that to another adult, that can be considered a uh, sexual assault. So doing it on a child, I mean, why not? Well, that's perfectly, there's an age of consent, right? Yeah. Well, aside perform, from that, which, of course. <laughs> well, aside from all of that, yeah. but it's a gray area mm -hmm. because usually sexual assault requires an mm -hmm. action that involves some kind of sexual act. You would have mm -hmm. to classify the act of putting a tampon in, mm -hmm. which 99% um, of the time is not a sexual act, um, as yes. a sexual motive. That's true. But even if you believe mm -hmm. that Christine wanted to reage her and all this kind of stuff and forced mm -hmm. her to putting on the tampon. That has no sexual intent. Her intent was to fraudulently mm -hmm. reage her, right? Yes. So it doesn't fall within the purview of sexual assault. Does not some sort of torture, yes. But does it <laughs> fall under the purview of maybe child abuse? Yes. I think so. I think that, but I don't even think that's, this, that's like the, the, the least of the charges mm -hmm. that Christine would face, giving out everything that we've heard. So they talk about the tampon thing. Beth Karras comes back in to talk about if what, if what Natalia says is true, then it's symbolic that Christine was forcing an age um, because of the tampon. It was abusive of Natalia, and she gives her opinion. Um, they talk about medical experts have told the Barnetts that Natalia was a child. We went over mm -hmm. that, how not only have doctors told her that, mm -hmm. but the adoption agency gave her records to suggest mm -hmm. that other doctors had evaluated her and placed her somewhere between six and nine years old. Um, they told... They, they mentioned that her mental faculties, um, her educational range was that of a child. Yes. And so everybody's told her that she is a child. Nobody mm -hmm. has suggested once that she's an adult. That was something that was perpetrated by the, by, uh, by the Barnetts, specifically Christine. I don't know if it's Christine or Michael that started it, but that the first time it came out was with the Barnetts. Didn't come out with the Chaconis. Mm -hmm. Didn't come out with the DePauls. Didn't come out with any other family that had been exposed to Natalia. That was their idea after the orphan had come out in 2009. Hey, what if, and it's so the, the parallels, Ukraine, I think uh, the orphan dealt with uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they neighbor each other. Yes. So, um, but <laughs> I just watched another uh, show yesterday how they're talking about this movie called Gone Girl. Okay. Um, oh, yes. I've never watched that movie. But I read the book. It, yeah. I, You're I such a reader. <laughs> reading I books don't remember <laughs> if I watched the movie because I know there's the movie, but I did read the book. I, I liked it. <laughs> By the way, um, in honor of, uh, do you realize we just crossed the 3,400 subscriber threshold just recently? Mm -hmm. The last time that you were on the show, I, 20 think, something, 20, I, think I was talking, telling you how we crossed over 2,000. Yeah. Uh, I think the episode prior to that, we had, were at 1,700. In the span of a couple of weeks, we've doubled our subscriber base. Um, and then I was telling you that once we get to 3,000 subscribers, that you were going to dye your hair pink. And it was a contract. Remember when I said oh, that? Oh, I remember. Well, we were at 3,400. <laughs> and um, I'm, I, I, I suspect that we have a breach. Yes. <laughs> I think that we should set a benchmark that if we get to 10,000 subscribers, uh, that we're going to have to make Ileana dye her hair purple or something. What? what yeah. Oh. Nope. 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 I said it. <laughs> no. I said it. It's done. No. <laughs> it's contracts. I don't buy think myself that, uh, a wig, a wig for an next episode. <laughs> well, myself and Dominic had talked about how, um, 
because Dominic was all excited. He, you know, the new producer, <laughs> yeah. Dominic. And by the way, he got props on our audio. And I've been doing this show and producing it myself for like a year um, and working on the audio very hard and, you know, with my lawyer brain. Um, and never once had I ever gotten complimented on my audio. Uh, he's here for a week. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, hey, that looks really good. <sighs> Frustrating. <you know? laughs> so right now we're at about something like uh, 3,500 subscribers. Nice. We are on track uh, to hit 10,000. We have a personal show goal that we want to hit 10,000 subscribers by the end of February. We're on track. Mm -hmm. I have cigars on deck uh, for the staff. <laughs> You included. I know you're probably not going to smoke it. I'll get you like a bubblegum cigar or something. There you go. But um, me and Dominic have one. I have them ready. So when we hit that mark, we're going to do that. Um, oh, um, shout out to one of our listeners who had commented on my drink of choice. Oh. Last week when we did the show, when you were on the phone, mm -hmm. me and Dominic were enjoying um, Woodford Reserve. Okay. I almost 99% of the time, I enjoy my whiskey neat without any adulterants, mm -hmm. without any additives, you know, just enjoy the whiskey by itself. But in honor of Dominic, uh, because, uh, you know, we put some Diet Coke in there. So it was like a, a Woodford and Coke, <laughs> which was delicious. But okay. then uh, one of our commenters was like, uh, hey, Woodford should be enjoyed neat. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you're right. It should. And so cheers to you. In, in honor of you, I am uh, in my cup, my aluminum cup. I have uh, some Woodford Reserve neat. A double shot of it, and it is uh, 12 p.m., so it's not exactly the morning, and so it's appropriate. Um, Diet Coke. Like, I have heard about rum with Diet Coke, but whiskey with Diet Coke. Oh, Eliana, you're so innocent. <laughs> I, I'm not a whiskey drinker. Like I'm aware, based on that statement yeah, alone. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, it just, I have tasted some that are really good. Yeah. But I learned that they're really expensive. Well, you haven't had a chance to sample what I normally have because no. of for the last like year and a half. I know. You've been dealing with pregnancies and stuff. And yeah. so like I remember one from Tennessee that I was really good, but like the, the stuff like black label and like I don't know. Oh, I'm not yeah, a black not, label. Like yeah. none of that. It's like I, I don't it. drink that. What I drink is well, Woodford is my replace, it's my everyday whiskey. Okay. I know we're going way off topic. I, I apologize. <laughs> um I have Woodford Reserve, Dalmore 15 is another one. Um, I like Templeton Rye. Um, there's a number, but this is not a whiskey show. Never mind about any of that. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Um, Natalia, but, well, Beth Karras, she's talking about this, this plan. Um, she talks about medical documents that, mm -hmm. the, that Christine and Michael were in possession of. Mm -hmm. um, and decided to... Conveniently, one of the conveniently medical, ignore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the medical documents that flashed on screen, mm -hmm. I took an excerpt of it. Um, it says, it said the exact skeletal maturity is difficult to assess mm -hmm. due to the marked abnormalities of the bones because of her condition mm -hmm. and the left hand. Uh, but the patient has a chronological age of six to nine, six years, has a chronological I can't talk. Has a chronological age of six years, nine months, and skeletal maturity of approximately eight years and four months. Skeletal maturity is advanced approximately 19 months, which is outside two standard deviations of the mean, with one standard deviation being eight and a half months, basically saying that she's like between six mm -hmm. and eight years yeah, old. Arranged. And that was documents that I don't know if she had obtained that uh, from the adoption agency or if she 
having seen a pediatrician, mm-hmm. if they had generated that, it was unclear. Okay. Um, they just kind of uh, glossed over it on the documentary. Um, but that is not Christine's plan. She mm-hmm. needs her to be aged as an adult. Um, and so according to Michael and Natalia, and here's the thing, this is where they start getting into some of the abuse that we're going to describe in episode mm-hmm. four. But in order to perpetuate this lie, Christine wanted to force Natalia to start telling people she was an adult. Mm -hmm. How would she go about that? One of the ways that she did was basically torture, abuse. And as you hear Michael describe it, Mm -hmm. Christine would beat Natalia severely, basically until she broke her will. Mm -hmm. And the way that Michael described it, she would use open hands. She would use fists. She would use forearms. She would use elbows until she would get tired. She would use belts, weapons against a 30-pound-year-old, 30-pound, a 30-pound, 8-year-old child, Mm -hmm. 6-year-old child, whatever she was, um, until she said, okay, okay, I'm 22 then, fine. Yeah. And then so many of you have chimed in about her behavior. So many of you have chimed in about the things that Natalia says and that the things that she's done in the third-party accounts. And um, I don't know. You have a Mm four-month-old. I have a little girl that looks sort of like Natalia when she was like four years Mm -hmm. old. My daughter, Olivia. Um, And I have Avalyn. She looks more like me. Mm -hmm. But um, I've been a father now for a long time. My oldest is 17 years old. And my opinion about children is this. They are, they're they're born with like such this innocence, Mm -hmm. this internal light. And everything is magical mm-hmm. to a child. Yes. You could get them to believe anything. Mm-hmm. The universe is magical. You could be a mermaid. You could be <laughs> Superman. You could be He-Man. You could be all of these things. There's unicorns. And there's a, a bears that have rainbows shooting out of their bellies. And yep. that's probably a little bit old. But the universe <laughs> <Care bears. laughs> introduces itself as this magical place mm-hmm. where everything is possible. And you have this... Every child they have, they come up to you with these big eyes and these big smiles. And um, if you're growing up in a mainstream home Mm -hmm. without an abusive parent or an abusive environment, um, those children grow up with loving parents. And they're allowed to believe that the universe is magical and that the universe is, um, you know, this this place. Mm -hmm. And little by little, that light dims. Mm -hmm. Recall. I mean, if you've ever had to discipline a child, it sucks. It sucks. Even if it's not abusive in nature, if it's just simply you can't have Mm -hmm. another cookie, Mm -hmm. you haven't even had your dinner or you can't be a mermaid. You can't do this and that. The first time that you have to tell them, no, Mm -hmm. their light dims just a little bit. And then imagine you have this sweet four month old. She can't even talk really right now. She can't even meaningfully communicate with you other than her gestures or cries. And that's mm-hmm. how she talks to you. But when she's two or three years old, the first time that she displays defiance and she raises her voice to you because, you know, that's what they do in the cartoons. <laughs> and you have to raise your voice or put her in timeout. Mm-hmm. It's like this, uh, this new feeling. Yes. The universe isn't so magical. I'm being oppressed. What is happening? Her light has been dimmed. Mm-hmm. The first time that you, uh, you spank her just a little bit to get, Mm -hmm. if you choose to do that, her light dims just Mm -hmm. a little bit. The first time that you speak to her in anger, her light dims just a little bit. Mm -hmm. The act of being alive necessarily is the act of being 
eternally triggered by the malfeasance of the world. This universe is in continuously imposing its will on us as children. And it beats us down and replaces our light with snakes and vipers and <laughs> danger and failure and embarrassment and pain and scary stuff until the light that we have as children is dampened, darkened. Mm -hmm. If it's not extinguished altogether, mm -hmm. um, it is uh, affected by the universe. And as teenagers, you have to try to build it up. And we try to build it up how? The only way to really reignite the light within is to have that children walk through fires, put them mm -hmm. in sports, put them through adversity, put them through stuff that is going to enrich their lives and show them that they don't have to accept their failures, that if they really want the universe to be magical, they have to do all of these things. And you, your whole job as a parent is to build up mm -hmm. their lights from the dimming to the re-extinguishing, mm -hmm. you know, you got to somehow ignite it. And pardon me for going off on a tangent, <laughs> but it's just what I've noticed. Yes. My, my, my wife had told me a story about Olivia, just the other day, mm -hmm. I told you how she identifies as a mermaid. A mermaid, yes, I love that. Well, the reason I said that was because my, my wife has given my daughter a bath. Mm -hmm. And I have, I purchased for them like these uh, mermaid tails that they could take with them mm -hmm. into the bathtub and so they could be mermaids, yes. you know. <laughs> but my daughter loves the movie uh, Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. And um, she so desperately wanted to be a mermaid. She was so frustrated that she had legs. She was so frustrated that she couldn't breathe underwater. And she threw like a little miniature tantrum because she was not a mermaid. And she kept on trying to breathe in the water and like oh basically my. drowning herself because my daughter is stubborn minded. She's very much like her dad, you know? All she wanted to be was a mermaid, but she just realized that the universe has told her no. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, through no fault of anybody's, but the realities of the laws of physics, her light was dulled a little bit. Mm -hmm. And luckily my wife was there to comfort mm -hmm. and try to explain. And, you know, the parents are there to steward through this grand dimming. But in Natalia's case, imagine all of the traumas that we've just described, the tampon thing, the beating up, torturing of her to force her to say that she's an adult. Never mind. Um, her past history of being uh, given up for adoption in yes. Ukraine, mm -hmm. the horrors that she uh, had went through at the orphanage, uh, the sexual assault that seems to have happened that she can't describe because she can't remember it. Um, all of the other stuff that we're going to get to talk about in episode four, imagine how much her light had been dimmed. And when you're trying, when you have your light dimmed like that, what is your only recourse? You go to the people that are there to provide and mm -hmm. to protect in this case, at that time, it would have been the Barnetts. The same lady that was beating her with open hands and fists and forearms and elbows and such was also charged with the duty in Natalia's mind and legally mm -hmm. with protecting her. Yeah. She wasn't getting that. At that point, she had already begun the process of trying to erase Natalia from their lives. And this was step one mm -hmm. in that phase. And so I apologize for the tangent, um, but getting back to the documentary, Natalia gets on there 
And um, she explains it. She says, when Christine told me to tell people that I was 22, I went along with it because I was threatened, of course. Um, if I was eight years old and you were beating me up with whatever it was, um, unless I said a certain thing, I was going to say that thing. Mm -hmm. um, I could recall a time where um, I had experienced abuse sort of at that level mm -hmm. for a very short period of time. Um, but I remember as a child just feeling terrified because I was being basically threatened with a knife. Nothing to do with my, my parents or anything like that. This was another individual, nothing to do with anything. The only reason I reference it is because I'm trying to place myself in Italia's shoes mm -hmm. where I was being chased with a knife. And then in my little seven or eight year old body, I was trying with all my might, with all my strength to hold the door shut with my legs mm -hmm. because I thought that this person was going to stab me to death. Mm -hmm. And um, when they inevitably got the door open, because seven-year-old boy versus 35-year-old man or mm -hmm. however old it was, um, you know, I wasn't stabbed to death, mm -hmm. but it was a traumatizing moment mm -hmm. that allowed me to confront my physical limitations as a boy and to be faced with a situation where I was contemplating life and death and the extreme pain of being stabbed. Mm -hmm. And so Natalia, who's sitting there and getting beat by an, um, Christine, I can only imagine what kind of pain and fear that she was, because she wasn't even a seven or eight year old boy. Mm -hmm. She was a seven or eight year old disabled child. Yes. That didn't have the strength um, to uh, do many things that mm -hmm. normal kids that age could do. So she was basically the strength of an infant, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and she's trying to navigate this world. So yeah, Christine says, you're gonna tell people you're 22. And she says, all right. Okay. Fine. Um, she says, Christine took me to my mom or to my room. Uh, she started hitting me with the bell. She goes on to describe some of the other stuff. She hit me on my back, my legs, anywhere she could. I remember trying to move. I remember trying to move, but she kept telling me to stop moving, but she would hit me harder and it really hurt. And at this point in the, in the, in the, production you can see that she, there's genuine tears mm -hmm. for whatever you think about the artificialness of uh that kind of a production the tears that she had were genuine mm -hmm. falling streaming down her face she'd been crying for a while she had a physical reaction to describing it i fully believe that story mm -hmm. now i don't have to believe it from her because michael's corroborated it yeah. so people to say that oh well it didn't you know no it happened okay i have enough not only do i have natalia's account i have michael's corroboration um, which would be tantamount to a statement against interest. So when you introduce hearsay evidence, it's generally inadmissible. But one of the exceptions to hearsay is if you make a statement against interest. There's no reason for you to do that. And so if you're doing that, the court says, hey, well, that's something. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, that's true. At this point, Michael, knowing that he's culpable because of his failure to protect, the fact that he's describing these actions is tantamount to a statement against interest, mm -hmm. which means I give it... Um, a lot of weight when I evaluate whether or not this is a true story or not. Yeah. And, you know, there's other stuff. But this happened to Natalia. I'm without a shred of a doubt. Um, I, I, I believe 100% that she was abused. Oh, yes. I believe that. Um, so Michael says in a deposition, and this is when he starts to describe, this is the famous March 20th, 2023 deposition. Mm -hmm. Um, she would use her open hand to hit her, her fist, mm -hmm. her forearms, her elbows until she couldn't do it no more. I didn't know what to do. This is Michael saying, I didn't know what to do. Um, he said, and this was from his deposition. I have a sociopathic child potentially and my wife, there was no way out of this. 
didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I had described, um, I don't remember if you were on the, the summary episode or not, but I had, mm-hmm. I had basically said this. And you know what, Eliana, I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. you have a four-month-old child. Let's imagine, let's just pretend that she's seven years old. Mm-hmm. All right. You have a husband. Um, if you saw your husband, who was significantly larger than you, mm-hmm. if you saw him going in on your child like that, to what the degree that I just described, mm-hmm. what would you do? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm small, but I, I sometimes feel like I'm bigger than him. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have done anything in my power to protect her, uh, whether that be call the police, beat my husband up. <laughs> I don't know. You would have put yourself in harm's way. Probably. Yes. For the sake of your child. Yes, definitely. So Michael, I've seen them both on camera. Mm-hmm. He's significantly bigger than her. He's. And he says, I don't know what to do. He's a little child. <laughs> I can't, I don't know what to make of that. You know, I don't understand that reticence. Mm-hmm. Not even just for your child. If I see any adult beating mm-hmm. up a child exactly. like this, hey, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm tackling them. I'm, you know, restraining them. We're going to talk, first of all, you know, just your your first instinct is to protect. Mm-hmm. You have this stronger person beating up a weaker person. You're going to try to protect them. Exactly. Most people would do that. The fact that he froze, I don't know what that's about. And I'm not educated enough to say uh, that the psychological abuse that he might have suffered to Christine plays a role in that. I don't know. Just your so. your base instinct. I had mentioned that my wife would do the same thing. She'd get mm-hmm. a baseball bat. Exactly. She would stab me with a whatever, a yeah. kitchen knife. She would throw mm-hmm. a baseball at me if it was laying around. Um, she would put herself in harm's way exactly. to protect um, her children from me if mm-hmm. I was doing something like that. And I talked to her about that. And she's like, hell yeah, I would. She's mm-hmm. like, how would um, she would take a chainsaw if she had <laughs> I mean, she didn't say that. But the point is she would stop at yes, nothing. Of course. His admission in this deposition mm-hmm. that he just froze does not mesh with any case that I've ever heard or ever had. I'll give you an example. I had a case in dependency court Mm -hmm. where a mother had lost her children for failure to protect, not permanently, but Mm -hmm. it was temporary. They went to a foster Mm -hmm. parent for a little while. Um, One of the things that had come up was at some point, the stepdad had started beating up the older son. Mm -hmm. I think this older son was like 11 or 12 years old. And then she had told the police and she told the Pensy court and testified at trial that she um, had jumped on his back and was trying to protect her son from mm-hmm. this bigger guy. Yeah. Um, and she was like this little person. She's like your size, mm-hmm. you know? Um, in every case that I've ever encountered like that, there's some kind of similar reaction. So yes. Michael's lack or failure to react in that circumstance does not meet what my experience tells me normally happens. Yes. But whenever it's a situation like that, what I immediately think is that they're lying of how everything really happened. Because... Meaning that you think he was complicit. Yes, I think so. Or in agreement with what was happening. Exactly. Which is the only way that that makes sense. Yes, it's the only way. I mean, because I know he is a little chicken... And he's yeah. all show, but still, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I know he likes to make himself the victim, but still, I think he was complicit. It doesn't make sense. And you know what else backs that up? Uh, the text messages between mm-hmm. the two exactly. of them, how yes. they're both ganging up on Natalia. 
And mm -hmm. so he's going along with this plan. He's aware of this plan. Mm -hmm. I have to believe that he has to be aware that Christine is trying to get her to admit that she's older. Mm -hmm. And so by any means necessary, um, if he had any reservation whatsoever, it doesn't make any sense that he would not spring to action. Mm -hmm. If not to just pull her aside and say, hey, yeah. buddy, something. what are we doing? Mm -hmm. You know? And he did that later. But when the abuse was happening, he did not. And so I agree. And, like the reason that he explains why he didn't do anything also it doesn't make sense to me. Because if you told me that, I don't know, Christine was beating him up, torturing him like physically. Hmm. But no, he's just like, oh, I'm afraid of her. Like, Come on, man. Nobody's afraid of Christine. You know? <laughs> like, no. It just. I will note, though. Mm -hmm. I know I'm quick to say that. You're quick to say that. Mm -hmm. But in episode four, there was recordings between the two of them talking. Mm -hmm. And whenever she told him to uh, basically be quiet, he would. Yes. And so there's a lot going on there that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really quick to jump to assumptions, conclusions, whatever with Michael. Yes. I don't know what's going on in his past, past to make him like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he developed as a person. But something is broken in that man. Oh, yes. 100% there is something broken in that man. Yes. And I think that Christine is a predator. Mm -hmm. And the reason why she ended up with Michael, think about the men that she, and we only know of two, mm -hmm. uh, the little person that she had an affair yes. with, and we know of Michael. Mm -hmm. What do they both have in common? They appear to be people that she could dominate, mm -hmm. take advantage of. Um, they, they, they appear to be people that are not quick to uh, confront her. No on anything. Mm -hmm. And so she's a predator. Maybe she acknowledged something in Michael's psychology that allowed her to do that. Mm -hmm. And he was quick to be submissive to that. That's what she wanted. And I'm 100% yeah. speculating. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I just know that what I see from them doesn't make any sense. And look, nothing that Michael has displayed on camera has made sense to me. <laughs> I try to show him a measure of humanity, but this failure to protect doesn't mm -hmm. make sense on any level. I think that you're accurate when you say that it's probably because he was complicit mm -hmm. or in agreement with what was going on, mm -hmm. which I guess that is the best explanation. So Veronica Maxwell, um, FBI agent, retired FBI agent, she had specialized in crimes against children mm -hmm. uh, that had opined on the documentary. She goes on to say if what Christine says is true, um, that Michael just corroborated, uh, then uh, over Natalia, um, she was using these extreme measures uh, to force her to say certain things. There was a monster that operated in Christine's mind. Uh, she was going to dominate. She was going to be the winner. And then they have this interview between mm -hmm. FBI agent Veronica and Natalia. She's talking to her and she says that um, she tells Natalia, I feel like she's been repeatedly victimized. She tells Natalia, I think that you were surviving the stuff that we had kind of all gone on, which is completely true. Mm -hmm. You're, you're orphaned. You've never had a family ever accept you in and declare that you are theirs mm -hmm. for anything longer than a couple of years. And whenever it's happened, even for a short period of time, uh, you were given away to the next family. Yeah. There's never been a moment where she has been able to plant her flag and say, this is my home. Mm -hmm. And so even at the orphanage, the, the abuses that they uh, say that were perpetrated on her, she was very much surviving. Mm -hmm. Not like you and I would survive as able-bodied people, but as a uh, disfigured, mm -hmm. um, physically impaired mm -hmm. um, little person. Mm -hmm. 
her perspective of the world is much different. Um, and her perspective of the world, I'd imagine, is severely um, morphed. I don't know mm -hmm. what's the word. Uh, disfigured mm -hmm. by her experiences. I can't even imagine what her real perspective is. Mm -hmm. There was a point in episode four where she writes her autobiography. And I imagine that was at the directive to write some kind of one. Well, we'll talk about that in episode four, mm -hmm. but um, there was some directive to write the story of her life or something, write a, a memory that you have. Mm -hmm. And she proceeds to write her autobiography. We'll, we'll talk about that. But it was full. It was like a, maybe 175 words. It was full of nothing mm -hmm. but trauma. Mm -hmm. It's all this little girl has ever known. Every time she's ever had any measure of happiness, it was quickly uh, robbed of her because they parents felt she was doing something nefarious to other people or I, I don't know but her life view her image of the universe mm -hmm. that had started this perfect magical place if you subscribe to my idea that every trauma dims the light of a child um i don't know how much light was left in there but the barnets did everything that they could to extinguish it definitely <laughs> and that's what i have to say about that um so beth she gets on um, I've been going for 46 minutes. I haven't even gone through a third of this. I got to speed this up. Okay. So, uh, Beth, she gets on and she identifies there's this three pronged, three pronged plan. Um, one of these three have to work mm -hmm. to get them off the hook of having to care for Natalia. Either we get her reaged legally, mm -hmm. or we get her committed to a psychiatric facility or we get her locked up. Yeah. And that's when you get to all of this stuff about the pledge incident where she put mm -hmm. pledge in her coffee and there's this video camera in her face, like, tell me what you did, you know, and, and there's a lot of video of Natalia and it's always in this accusatory tone from some parent, either Michael or Christine. You see, there's mm -hmm. this video of her, like when she's playing and she's happy, but the majority of what you see in the documentary, at least it's, it's her being accused yeah. of something. She always has this sad face. Mm hmm and um, confusion and confusion yes and confusion it's it's really infuriating for me to look to look at mm -hmm. all of that yes and i don't know how much psychologically it plays up in my own mind because she looks like my mm -hmm. four-year-old daughter yeah. but it makes my blood boil yeah. to a, a degree that i've been covering this case mm -hmm. since six months ago yes and um, i'm invested into it to the, the point that i'm covering it to the extent that we are mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about Jackie Starbuck. Let's talk about statute, Indiana statute 31-16-6. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know what that statute is. I have no is. idea, but tell me what it is. <laughs> it basically describes, such as in California, mm -hmm. to the extent that a parent is responsible financially okay. for their child, yes. mm -hmm. right? And in California, it's until they're, they're 18 or they graduate high mm -hmm. school, and there's also provisions if they're dis disabled. disabled. Mm -hmm which is, it kind of mirrors the Indiana statute. And here's what the statute actually says. The duty to support a child under this chapter, which does not include support for educational needs, ceases when the child becomes 19 years of age, unless any of the following conditions occurred. I don't know if the, because in the documentary, they said the age was 21. I don't know if between the time the documentary came out, change. if they amended that statute, but mm -hmm. the way that statute actually reads, it's the age, the age of 19. Okay. It might have at some point been 21, mm -hmm. but the way it reads now, it's 19. Um, but so you're responsible until 19, unless mm -hmm. one of the following conditions occurs. Okay. And one of them is the child is emancipated before becoming 19. Yeah.
Right. In this case, the child support, um, except for the educational needs outlined in Section 2A1 of this chapter, terminates at the time of emancipation, although an order for educational needs may continue. So I left it at the discretion of the mm -hmm. court. Section 2 says the child is incapacitated. Mm -hmm. In this case, the child support continues during the incapacity or until further order of the court. What does that mean? Incapacity basically means you're physically disabled to the degree that you can't care for yourself. Yes. And she was unequivocally disabled mm -hmm. to the point where she required uh, specialized medical treatment. Mm -hmm. She couldn't get around on her own. She couldn't care for herself, personal hygiene, food, um, clothing, how is she going to get out and get a job, all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. So even if she aged out, the fact that she's physically disabled under the Indiana statute mm -hmm. and which mirrors kind of what California know, yeah. says, um, the Barnets are still going to be on the hook. Financially. So they didn't do the research or they got bad legal advice. Yes. <laughs> so they thought, oh, we'll just get her old and uh, we'll re-age her and that we'll be off the hook. No, she's still got these disablements. I can imagine them like going through the whole re-aging and then afterwards finding out, oh, still responsible. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I in 2024, I'm making a concerted effort not to curse on the show. My apologies. This is a family <laughs> show. Um, my mom listens to the show. And so I try to abbreviate or not, again, going mm -hmm. off topic. Um, so anyway, let's talk about the, the, the pledge incident mm -hmm. that happened in 2011. And the way that um, it's described, Natalia puts pledge into Christine's coffee. Um, and Christine makes a big deal about it. Mm -hmm. Um. Natalia says that, no, first of all, the way Christine says is that we were in the kitchen mm -hmm. and then she, she put the pledge in my drink and I tasted it. I clearly tasted pledge. Mm -hmm. And then Natalia says that, oh, yeah, it was me and I was trying to kill you or something. Mm -hmm. that, in fact, I don't know if that's verbatim. Never mind. Natalia tells it a very different way. She says, I was basically helping her clean the kitchen. Mm -hmm. We were having a good day. Everybody's in a good mood. She was spraying the table. I was helping her wipe it down. Um as my daughters sometimes do with, um, you know, yeah. they try to help out cleaning. Mm -hmm. um, she walked out for a second and I scooted her coffee out of the way mm -hmm. and I sprayed the table with pledge. And then Christine comes back and she's accused of spraying it into her coffee. She grabs my hand and she made me spray pledge into my coffee. Mm -hmm. Granted, that part of the story doesn't make sense because if all Christine needs is video evidence, mm -hmm. It's not going to work if she's on video putting her putting hand it, and forcing yes. her. But this is the way Natalia says it. Um, and Natalia says, I think she tried to create that video to have some proof that I did something. And then so, but there is video of her mm -hmm. and she's being accused. Why did you do that? And you can see her on the video and you can mm -hmm. see it for yourself. But what happened? It makes a lot more sense that Christine basically just sensationalized the story. Yeah. Maybe she put, maybe she forced her to put the pledge in it because maybe Michael was in the house. I don't recall all the details, but that, I think he was in the house. Yeah. And she says, Hey, Michael, come smell yeah, this. Something Is like there that. pledge in here? Yeah. So she, she could have some form of corroboration. Mm -hmm. Then they get her on Natalia on the video and, and basically accuse her of doing this. Mm -hmm. She does this to Michael um, later on. Mm -hmm. There's parallels. This is kind of Christine's MO. Yes. <laughs> we call in episode four. Um, they're in the car. And what Michael says is, um, she's like berating me and humiliating oh, yeah. me. And she's saying all of this stuff. And I keep on telling her, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And he says that just kind of under his breath, you know, mm -hmm. in his Michael way. And then the minute that he says that, 
Um, she turns into angel voice. Yes. And boys, I just want you to know that your dad said he's going to kill us, but I'm going to protect you. And that's the part that she records. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of her modus operandi. Yeah. This is how she moves and how she maneuvers. And so it makes, you know, from 2011, I think the, the Canada incident happened in 2013. This is what she does. Mm -hmm. At least that's what she did back then. Um, she was going around to her neighbors and one of the neighbors was on the phone for mm -hmm. this documentary and says uh, that Chris called me over, said that she was at the table and Natalia put furniture polish in her coffee. Uh, she called a poison. She, she had called poison control. She said that she needed to make herself throw up. Um, I told Chris to look, look in her room and they go into a room and they find rubbing alcohol and matches which I guess maybe they probably did find because the neighbor says that they went in there. The neighbor goes in and looks under her bed herself. They mm -hmm. find it. Um, and this is what the neighbor says. Um, I confronted Natalia and asked what she was planning on doing with these. And Natalia said, I was going to set the house on fire. Um, he says to Natalia, that's not that smart. You don't really move that quickly. You might not be able to get out on time. Mm -hmm. And then Natalia says, I don't care as long as they're all dead. That's the neighbor's account. <laughs> Seemingly a precipient, a precipient witness to whatever that event was. Um, and my here's my response to that. I don't care if she said those things. Mm -hmm. She might have. Yeah. She probably did. If it's being if corroborated, she probably said a lot of stuff like that. There was a lot of things going on in that little girl's brain. Mm -hmm. um, but consider what she had just been through, corroborated by Michael, the physical abuse and all of this other kind of stuff. And they're actively trying to erase her. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine she said a lot of things like that. And so in the only part that this neighbor gets to see is the part where she is from the symptoms of her trauma, mm -hmm. um, saying these, these crazy outlandish things. And so we have that account. And so. No, going back, I didn't remember that she had mentioned that she called poisoning control. I think that's such an exaggeration because, I mean, I drink coffee. If there's pledge in my coffee, I'll probably taste it in like one second. Exactly. And I, I mean, will continue drinking it. And I don't think just tasting it needs me to call poisoning control. Like, I'm not going to die yeah. from that. I, that's just so, like finding a way to corroborate and have proof mm -hmm. that, yes, I called poisoning control because she was trying to poison me. Now, granted, no. I don't know for sure if she called poison control. That's what the neighbor said. Yeah, that's what Who the neighbor said, that's true. Yeah. But you're right. If the milk has been sitting, if it's past expiration mm -hmm. date, you're going to taste it and I'm dumping it out. Yeah. And yeah. So you're right. And I agree. Um, I don't buy the pledge yeah. story. I think that Christine perpetrated it and you and I are in agreement on that. But moving on. So let's get to the 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 thing, the, the uh, allegation that she was standing over the bed with a knife, with a knife. Yeah. remember? Mm -hmm. So they ask Natalia about it. Mm -hmm. She says it, number one, she said, I can't believe that anything the Barnets are saying. She's mm -hmm. like, they said all kinds of lies. I don't know what, obviously it's false. Mm -hmm. um, but then she goes on to explain that their bed, first of all, is the height of her forehead. Mm -hmm. She couldn't even see over the bed, which you know wouldn't necessarily stop her from standing at the foot of the bed with a knife. Yeah. Even if she can't see what's going on up there, she knows who's up there. Um, she says that I'm not that strong. I'm eight years old and 37 pounds. I can't physically stab anyone. And mm -hmm. she tries to hold a knife in the way that her hand is deformed. Mm -hmm. She can't really grip it. Mm -hmm. If she tried to stab, she can't generate the force to keep it in mm -hmm. place. That's what she says. Mm -hmm. And for all I know, that could have been like the OJ thing. Hey, the glove don't fit because yeah. I'm, you're, you're not, you're letting me put it on myself. So of mm -hmm. course it's not going to fit. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know what to make of that. She may or may not have been standing with a knife with the that, bed. Yeah, that part, it was never like clear to me. Yeah. Because it was at some point, 
also I don't remember if it was three or uh, on the third or fourth episode that I think Michael kind of confronts her and tells her like that's yeah, the that last happened. episode yeah episode six yeah. where she says i don't remember it michael's like no yeah. no, no that happened i know what i saw yeah. uh, at that point i felt like michael was being sincere yes exactly he that's what incredible. i felt too yes. yeah she and probably her face was, she was like maybe questioning like yeah yeah like hey he's not denying mm -hmm. it's not going the way i thought mm -hmm. there might have been some truth to it yeah. but again i submit to my prior disclaimer i don't mm -hmm. care what natalia's done mm -hmm. fact is she didn't stab anybody she didn't commit murder she didn't do anything that's gonna have her locked up actually Mm -hmm. She might have had some behavioral issues. It's obvious that she, I'd be surprised, I'd be shocked if she didn't have behavioral issues. And so, again, she's not the one on trial. The question is whether or not the Barnett's committed acts of child abuse and neglect. There's, there's children that have been through a lot less and have done a lot worse. <laughs> you got that right. So. And we got many examples. Mm -hmm. um, but moving on, uh, Veronica Maxwell chimes in. Prong two of the plan was to try to get her committed to a mental institution. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So the criminal thing doesn't work. We're not going to get her um, arrested for trying to kill us. Mm -hmm. So prong two, just, let's just say she's crazy. Get her to say that she thinks about hurting herself and others all the time, that she has these sadistic tendencies and maybe we get her, get her committed, mm -hmm. you know, mental health, whatever. So June of 2012, they succeed in getting her committed to LaRue psychiatric facility. Mm -hmm. And they did it on the basis um, there was an excerpt from the actual social uh, media exchange between them, but there was also basically what they had told the uh, psych ward is that she has made threats to her family mm -hmm. and threats about harming herself and she's dangerous mm -hmm. and she has this stuff and they got her to say the same thing. And that's how she got 5150, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't, she was never diagnosed with the mental yeah. illness. Matter of fact, they released her because there was nothing wrong with her, mm -hmm. but that's how they got her admitted. So that happens. In June of 2012, after that had happened, there was a text message exchange, not text message, social media exchange on June 12th of 2012, where Michael says, I'm feeling really good about the Natalia situation. You were talking about uh, com complicitness. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's in on this whole plan yeah. get, to get rid of Natalia. He says, I, I feel really good about the Natalia situation. She's getting into the state crazy hospital, definitely. Right where she belongs. She's a terrible demon-possessed soul. And imagine reading that in the dramatic Michael voice, you know? And he calls it a crazy hospital. He, that's what he says. And, but, but he talks like of that. Of course, you know? yeah, that's him. <laughs> Natalia recalls being admitted. This is her account mm -hmm. of it. Um, when I first got to the building, I didn't really know what kind of hospital it was. As I went in and I see the people in there, it was like a creepy hospital movie. I was confused, and when they admitted me, it was all empty except for a bed. It wasn't that big. Everything was white except for the straps on the bed. And being in that room was creepy because I was locked in there. Once I laid down, the lights would cut off. I was laying there in the dark, terrified. Um, and that at this point, this is where they filed the potential to have a reaction. Mm, yes. Could you imagine yourself? Okay. When you were seven years old, mm -hmm. when I was seven years old, I was afraid of the dark. Were you? remember i was definitely afraid yeah. of the dark i would when i would close my eyes yeah. i would see like all kinds of crazy demons and fires yeah. and monsters oh, yeah. and freddy and no, you know <laughs> had a very active imagination <laughs> and so um you're a child you're in there by yourself mm -hmm. the door's locked mm -hmm. there's no calling to mom there's no calling to dad there's no um calling to your siblings mm -hmm. you're by yourself in this womb this room that is deafeningly white with straps on the bed. The lights go out. 
And um, no matter how loud you scream, no matter uh, who you call out for, nobody's coming to help you. Mm -hmm. How terrified could you imagine being at seven or eight years old with yeah. your perspective of the universe, not knowing what kind of hospital it was and all of these kinds of things? I mean, I will be terrified to this day. Like, I mean, mm. if I were committed today, I will be terrified in that situation. Yep. So I can only imagine what a seven-year-old could be thinking. I'll tell you what. That situation. I'm 43 years old. I cannot, I cannot sleep mm-hmm. without like some kind of noise in the background. Mm-hmm. So if the halls were like uh, silent, if the lights were completely off, need, uh, I can't sleep with noise. <laughs> yeah, I need the white. I need the TV on. Mm-hmm. I need the sound of the fans. Mm-hmm. Some kind of white noise. Some kind of light flickering. Yeah, that's how my brain goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that, the darkness in the sound would be so deafeningly loud. Mm-hmm. I could not. I'd have to get used to it. It'd take a while. Yeah. I'd get used to it, but you know, imagine a seven or eight year old. So that's, but she was, this was imposed upon her. It was at this point that they had her re-aged. No guardian ad litem. There was no minor's counsel. There was nobody in her corner to defend her. She wasn't even given notice of the hearing. And so, that's um, that's just so. I mean, I can't believe it because I've done so many um, conservatorship cases. You always appoint uh, it's beyond belief, right? For the person. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, not always in guardianships, but even in family law cases, a lot of times minority counsel for something very minor compared to having somebody re-age. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't really understand how the judge didn't think about like who's going to defend this girl like give me yeah. more information from some other side other than the the proponents of this change like i, w- I can't think of any judge that i'm aware of that would re-age her yes. without continuing it and making sure she was represented or getting more information than this letter from this one doctor mm-hmm. the family doctor of the barnets but that's what happened and, and so a judge basically decides it's, it was an emergency petition. And an emergency. Like, what is it? It's Even worse. So <laughs> an emergency petition is necessarily an ex-party communication mm-hmm. with the judge, which is impermissible. Mm-hmm. Meaning I'm, we can't make any orders without both sides at least being present, having notice of the hearing, mm-hmm. opportunity to prepare and uh, to prepare a written response or be present at the hearing. Mm-hmm. That's how we are supposed to conduct jurisprudence in the United States. Mm-hmm. So an emergency petition means it was just the Barnetts filing this petition with whatever evidence they had. And they got this uh, letter from McLaren, their mm-hmm. family doctor, yes. that says that, well, Natal is making it all up. Mm-hmm. And on the strength of that, in this emergency petition, what was the emergency? What was the emergency? There's no emergency. She's not going anywhere. Exactly. She's, She's literally committed. in a hospital. <laughs> Why do I got to make this decision right now? What they had argued. Mm-hmm reading the letters was basically that if she's an adult, Mm -hmm. she requires adult care. We can't legally prescribe her adult medication without re-aging her. And her, her health is at risk. That was the emergency, which to me, it would be the simplest of arguments to say, okay, but if she's getting a child's medication and mm-hmm. we're able to monitor her vitals and exactly. we're able to know that she's not in any immediate danger, mm-hmm. then maybe we could put this off for at least 90 days to prepare exactly. and get more information before mm-hmm. we forever strip this little girl mm-hmm. of her uh, rights as a minor without mm-hmm. any representation, any notice. 
I, I, I can't imagine why the judge just decided, all right, well, fine. And I don't know how it works in Indiana, but, you know, here in California, they usually, there's usually some sort of follow-up hearing yeah. um, afterward. Right. Like, I don't remember anybody mentioning in this case that that happened. They exactly. They create her and Orders are temporary. <laughs> Ex-party orders are always yes. temporary. But we're going to revisit this in 30 days. I'll make this order now. Do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But we're coming back to really talk about this. Mm-hmm. That doesn't appear to have happened in the Indiana case. And I don't know why that didn't happen. But it also appears like that wasn't how they normally do business. Because in the case of the criminal cases, they had mm-hmm. made reference to it. They acknowledged that she was without um, representation. Mm-hmm. They acknowledged uh, the the problems with that order. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do anything about it. They said, well, nobody filed an appeal. And so the issue of her age is raised judicata. Yeah. Um, not... Uh, within our jurisdiction to do anything about it. And that's played a huge role in how the Barnetts were able to escape criminal liability. Mm-hmm. So you and I, lawyers in California, and I think even in lawyers in Indiana would agree mm-hmm. that the way that that all went down was BS. And I'll tell you what, um, there was letters written mm-hmm. uh, from county council mm-hmm. after the reaging, mm-hmm. specifically to the doctor and to the Barnetts and to the judge, mm-hmm. trying to say, hey, this wasn't right. We shouldn't have done this. And for whatever reason, nothing was ever nothing done about happened. it. There was no subsequent hearings. There was no subsequent anything. Was this like a small courthouse or a small town? It doesn't, or I mean, like you know, sometimes there's only like one or two judges. And <sighs> what is your opinion of dependency court in California? I don't do those cases anymore. I do those cases sometimes. It's like a mafia in there. I'll say that there's good ones and there's bad ones. Yes. And the bad ones are really effing bad. Oh, yes. Yes. The good ones are good, but the bad ones are really bad. And all Mm -hmm. it takes is one bad one to make stupid decisions. Yes. Um, It's like the the way that I felt when I went to dependency court, it was like high school. Yeah, like a, a click. Yes, and like a click. You got and county council sitting there all in a row, and they yeah. all know each other to sit there every single day. And you, as private counsel, I didn't feel like I was making a uh, a change or my whatever I did. It didn't matter because I wasn't yeah. part of the click. I wasn't part of the right club. And your voice yeah. was subservient mm-hmm. to the panel of county attorneys that would sit there every single day. Mm-hmm. And when you walk into dependency court, like they're laughing and joking with the judge and you're coming in as this outsider and they don't even know who you are. So you make arguments that has necessarily a prejudicial effect on private counsel coming in Mm -hmm. that requires a lot of work and effort to overcome that. That's Mm -hmm. with any dependency court. I haven't really been a part of any dependency hearings where that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how it works in Indiana any more than you do. I just know that there was a lot of people that disagreed with what happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of people wrote, raised their voices, but not in a way that would go about affecting change, mm-hmm. reverting her age back to eight years old until there was more information. The way that that would have happened probably in California or, or many other states. Yeah. I don't know. So that was with that. Uh, but Jackie Starbuck, here's what she says. Um, well, before we get to that, Beth Karras, she chimes in. She says, uh, the only medical professionals... Um, Check that mm-hmm. before I get ahead of myself. Michael in deposition says this. Um, your family doctor wrote a letter for the Marion County petition, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and there was a judge that corrected her age for her birth year being changed in 1989. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Michael says, yes. Do you think that that's a reasonable age? Yes. And then they flash to that letter. 
Beth says that the only medical professionals who believe that Natalia was an adult was the family doctor, McLaren, and there was a social worker. Here's what the McLaren's letter said. There, this is an excerpt. Mm -hmm. This patient has made a career of perpetuating her age facade. I was fooled, as were her parents, previous caregivers, and countless other physicians, which is a classic way of saying, oh, there's so many people that are mm -hmm. going to say this, not to identify a single one. Mm -hmm. It's telling. If I was just saying, okay, well, show me. Bring them in here. Well, I, I don't know. Doctors usually base everything on science and nothing that letter it's scientific science to me like, yeah it's, it's all other it's people have said yeah exactly my opinion and then my opinion is not really science <laughs> yes he goes on to say that this behavior is counterproductive to everyone involved and will continue to delay appropriate medical care for this patient um here's what this uh, the uh, cps worker mm -hmm. stated Susan Witten, she says, uh, it certainly would seem appropriate to question the age of Natalia. In my opinion, I'm not a doctor, I'm a social yeah. worker. Um, she should be aged well over 18. So this is what the letter wrote. This is the full expert uh, or excerpt, the paragraph. Natalia and her adoptive parents, Christine and Michael, were seen in my office in December of 2011. The Barnett stated that Natalia is a threat to others and that she has harmed them to the point of poisoning Christine and creating a clear plan to kill the other members of the home. She has been given the diagnosis of RAD and that's the, yes. uh, I forget what the it stands for, but mm -hmm. RAD, ODD and schizophrenia. Uh, Natalia has been in St. Vincent's stress center three times and has also received other treatment through community psychological consultants and Lennon and associates, as well as evaluations of Valle Vista Per the Barnetts, several mental health professionals have recommended that Natalia be admitted to a residential treatment center or a state hospital. Um, and she's first to Dr. Pearson, Valle Vista, St. Uh, Vincent Stress Center, Dr. McLaren, but she doesn't include those letters in the mm -hmm. petition. Um, her background information is incomplete to the point that her birth certificate states she is eight years old. However, she has full adult, and then I can't tell what it said, um, yeah, and just full. I'm. I i do not know if she's going to talk about teeth or mm -hmm. whatever she's going to say. Um, I don't know, but that's where she was going with that. Mm -hmm. So she says all of that, and McLaren says something similar, and they don't really corroborate it. I didn't see any other letters that mm -hmm. were in agreement with that. Um, there was an excerpt from an actual social media exchange from Michael and Christine on January 10th of 2012. This is what Michael says. McLaren's letter is phenomenal, Christine says. Awesome. Does it say autism? She was interested in autism because of her son, Jacob, I assume. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael says, once in a century brain. Christine says, yes, McLaren, love you. So Was this like public social media exchanges? No, no, no. This or is this just like messenger type of thing? Like Facebook messenger and stuff. Okay, I was like... Yeah. <laughs> but this came about by the uh, FBI investigation yeah. mm -hmm. that had ensued. Uh, Brandon Davenport, uh, the detective who jumped on the case around mm -hmm. 2013, was questioning the doctor. And, he, and this is what he says. So if the parents, this is the family doctor of the Barnetts. Mm -hmm. If the parents kept bringing, and that's all you, mm -hmm. in and kept telling you that she's older than what she is, how many times did they bring her in before you start believing it mm -hmm. and having a report with the family anyways and feeling sympathetic to their cause and then so people can start believing that she's older than what she is. And here's what McLaren mm -hmm. says. 
I understand what you're getting at. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, relationships affect things. That type of thing is plausible. That's all that he said. In the documentary, anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a full-on conversation with the detective. That one sentence is all that got in, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. But this is what he says in his... Here's his complete letter. Natalia Barnett has been a patient of mine since May 24th of 2010, shortly after her adoption since the Barnett family. She had previously been adopted or fostered by two different families out of state. It's not completely clear why her relationships with the other families were terminated. According to her birth certificate... Her birth date is September 4th of 2003. This is clearly inaccurate. Unfortunately, it has been difficult to clarify her age with any accuracy. She is from the Ukraine and records are incomplete. Also because of her condition, a type of dwarfism, conventional methods of determining age are not useful. She has been seen by an endocrinologist and orthopedist. Neither specialist was able to help substantially with an accurate assessment of her age, which from what we know, mm-hmm. is complete BS yes, okay. from everything that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Continuing, Miss Barnett is now submitting that she's significantly over 18 and that she has been perpetuating the age misconceptions in order to be treated as a child by parents and strangers. Clearly, there has been psychological issues that need to be addressed. This will only be possible once an accurate age can be determined because of her legal age. She has always been placed in the care of pediatric health professionals, at which point she reverts to infantile preschool behaviors, basically saying she's putting on a a, a A show. show. Mm -hmm. Uh, This patient has made a career of perpetuating her age facade. I was fooled, as were her parents, previous caregivers, and countless other physicians. This behavior is counterproductive to everyone involved and will continue to delay appropriate medical care for this patient. He says all of that in this letter with all of the authority of his PhD and not a single letter document has come through from what I've found. Mm -hmm. If they're out there, I haven't seen them to corroborate what he's saying. This opinion was perpetuated by the Barnett's pressure upon him. Every time they come in, um, they're telling him this story, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, I'm no doctor, but if I were a doctor, I would think that if somebody comes to me, like the Burnett's with a shell, even if they do it 10 times before I do a letter like this, that I know it's going to be used in court, Mm -hmm. I will def, I will think that I would ask for some sort of, I don't know. Well, most doctors, what do, they, what do they do? They 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 CYA. They cover their ass. Yes, exactly. They're, they're not going to just like make not, definitive statements. Like it's my license. I'm not going to. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know, send her to do some type of other test, labs, something to corroborate whatever mm-hmm. the, the Barnett's are telling me, not just drop this letter based on what they are telling you. I mean, it sounds so iffy. Like it's so weird. Well, at the very least. I don't care if they're family friends or not. Yeah. So either he was, I, I don't know if he was just pressured by the Marnettes, but he was clearly lazy in his diagnosis. Oh, yes. He's claiming that he has all this corroborating statements from other mm-hmm. PhDs or doctors or whatever, but he doesn't identify any of them and nobody came forward to corroborate his story. Mm-hmm. But this is what the doctor is hearing or the judge is hearing. Mm-hmm. And he uses this as the basis to make his decision. Also the judge, like 
I don't know the judges in Indiana, but the judges <sighs> here in California they see that and they'll be like, okay, so who? Conclusory, is this? conclusory. Yes, like who's this person? I need more evidence. <laughs> yes. Who's who are these other doctors? You know, exactly. I need more. Mm-hmm. Which and, and, and the credit to them. I, I gotta say that the judges that I practice in front of most of the time yes. um, are really good about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. They don't yes. fall for that kind of thing. Exactly. I don't know what this judge was doing, but he made a decision. Mm-hmm. But you know, whatever for for whatever that was worth, nobody came in and properly challenged it, mm-hmm. which is even more infuriating <laughs> because now there's nothing that can be done about it. And and now she's already 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And so, but the letter basically suggests that Natalie's this con artist and um, the prosecutors have never heard other, like I said, other doctors mm-hmm. make that claim. So Beth comes in on the strength of that letter. She's aged from eight to 22. Did not give the court all of the other documents they had, all the stuff from the adoption agency, all of that stuff. Here's what Jackie Starbucks says. She said that the child protective team, this is their response to all of that. Mm-hmm. The child protective team, I'm assuming she's referring to something of the county, some kind of department for CPS or the DA. I don't know. But the child protective team found out about the reaging after it had occurred. Mm. Fine. Okay. But it was a next party. Mm -hmm. She had no problem going and changing and challenging those findings. Um, The letters were sent, letters were sent to the judge, the department of children's services and Dr. McLaren stating that this wasn't right. Mm -hmm. There was no notice ever provided to Natalia. There was no hearing where she was ever present. There was no hearing, period. They just had this ex-party. And it was clear that she didn't have representation. Mm-hmm. And that was backed up um, by the fact that the uh, the the appeal, the, the appeal, the published mm-hmm. court case from the criminal also says, yeah, she was never represented. But yeah, they're going to accept that as raised judicata, which I don't believe academically holds up. Raised judicata implies mm-hmm. that there was an adversarial hearing mm-hmm where both sides were able to present evidence, given notice and opportunity to prepare. They made their arguments and findings were made. The fact that she wasn't represented necessarily um, implies, not even applies, asserts. She didn't have the opportunity. That there was not um, a a proper uh, judicial determination of anything. There was not an adversarial hearing. It was an ex parte, one side only, Mm -hmm. making an argument and the judge saying, all right, and that was it. Mm-hmm. How yeah. that amounts to raise judicata flies against everything I ever learned. I agree with you. In law school. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And in my over 10 year career now mm-hmm. in law. And so I, I said this to you last time we discussed, every time we talk about the legal process of what happened, you and I always get all pissed off. <laughs> and it's yes, no different. It just doesn't make sense. On any level. So text messages uh, there. Once she was reaged, there was this celebratory text message from Michael to Christine. Everything's going to be so awesome in August. Mm-hmm. I just want to see, just you wait and see if she gets put away, we're going to take a week off to someplace. <laughs> so the LaRue psychiatric contacts the Barnetts and says that there's nothing wrong with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't even see the need for medication or therapy. So she's released. And where did they release her? To a halfway house. What do you know about halfway houses? Not much, but I know that's usually where people end up like in between prison. Probation, or or they're still serving some kind of a county prison sentence or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're usually uh, reformed criminals and things. But they send this eight-year-old girl Mm -hmm. to a halfway house. And the way that Natalia describes it, 
Um, there was drinking, there was smoking, there was mm -hmm. cussing. I remember how I felt. I was scared. Um, Michael had said to Christine that, look, um, we got to go get her. This was him on, I don't I think it was season one, but he says, if something happens to her, the way that he describes it, mm -hmm. I'm famous. If something happens mm -hmm. to her, I'm famous. He's talking about Christine's explanation. Yeah. We got to go here because if something happens to her, famous, they find the daughter of the, the Christine Barnett, mm -hmm. dead of a drug overdose, then I'm famous. She wasn't concerned about her health or her well-being. She was concerned about her about public persona. And we're back. So, all right. So she's released from LaRue. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with her. And they fast track after the reaging. Mm -hmm. She gets out of LaRue. She's not going back home with the Barnetts. Mm -hmm. She's going to stay in Tippecanoe County. And um, that apartment that we had talked about, remember? Yes. So she spent some time in the halfway house. Michael says, we got to go get her mm -hmm. um, because if something happens, then they're going to think bad of Christine. Mm -hmm. That was the reasoning. Um, they took me back to the house. This is an Italian talking. And I found out a couple of days later that I'm going to be in an apartment. They dropped me off and they left. They didn't explain anything to me. I'm eight. What do I do? Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't teach me to do anything. I felt lost. I felt like I don't know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And they expect me to just be, like live by myself. And I didn't know what else to do but be with my parents. Mm -hmm. It goes back to my whole anecdote previously when I was talking mm -hmm. about the light extinguishing. Where do you go back to regenerate your life? Usually your parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's over here on her own. She has no regenerative mm -hmm. source. There's no parents. There's nobody to fend for her. She's by herself now, eight years old. Um, Sue McCallum, do you remember her? I don't remember any of them. She's, a, she's the neighbor. She was the older one. Yes, yes. They showed her video of Natalia talking about that, and then she gets on just very briefly. She says... Mm -hmm. Well, that's all just to put on. That's not how yeah, the older she lady. was. Yeah, she's like, uh, she knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And that proved to me, they proved that she was 22. He's talking about the re-aging. She, remind, she reminded me of my grandma. Once something gets yeah. in her head, nope. nobody's going to nope. change it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot like, uh, well, it's a lot like uh, politics. It once yeah. you pick a position, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're married to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, till death do us part. Mm -hmm. that, that was Sue McCallum. Um, she talks about the neighbor. She seems at first she looked like she was a little girl. I could, I could tell by I could tell by the way that she acted mm -hmm. that she wasn't. Never mind that this lady's not qualified to look at a, somebody and and get and and put together a psychological profile mm -hmm. of what would encompass an eight year old girl versus one that was severely traumatized in yeah. her life. But never mind that. Uh, she talked about her being doing inappropriate things. Talked about her. Um, they had to get so much on her before they could evict her, which was very telling. Mm -hmm. McCallum says, we had to get so much dirt on her before we should get her out of there. Mm -hmm. She wasn't actually evicted. They just weren't able to renew the lease. Yes, exactly. And so, but they were building all of the stuff mm -hmm. and going to people complaining about her. And this was some of the stuff. Um, and one of the things they shared talked about was she was inappropriate with the little boy. Uh, the way Natalia talks about it is this. You're rolling around in the grass. We're having a tickle fight. The dad came out and he's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, the neighbor says, oh, Natalia was doing more than that. She was doing more than tickling. She was uh, getting familiar in private areas. Um, Natalia says, they said I tried to sexually, sexually touch him. And that was not the case. I just started getting yelled at. That's why I was scared. I didn't know why everybody was yelling at me. Mm -hmm. I thought I was just being a kid. And then the neighbor says, oh, that's not the only incident. Um, there was one gentleman in the laundry room. He told me 
uh, that she was a strange person. Natalia was a mm -hmm. very strange person. Um, other gentlemen lived by themselves and they would let Natalia come in and they would stay for hours, which Jesus Christ, man. I mean, um, you got an eight year old and the way that Natalia describes it is look, I didn't know anything about boundaries. Yeah. I didn't know no. I was not supposed to go knocking on doors. I was just looking for somebody to talk to. It was all mm -hmm. by myself. I didn't know I couldn't just like walk into people. I didn't know anything about, you know, uh, keeping it myself. Yeah. yeah. And she's like any other sure. eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, like your children, as you'll find mm -hmm. out. My three and four-year-old, they, you know, they're inappropriate all the time. <laughs> There's no boundaries. We're sitting there on the couch, like having a wine. And here comes, you know, all elbows and knees, little Olivia and Avalanche. Like, ah, yes. dad, I want to sit with you. <laughs> it's like... They're, uh, that's the way children are. And so that's the way Natalia was. And imagine she's by herself. She's just looking for a friend, mm -hmm. somebody to talk to. Um, so they spoke of an older guy. Mm -hmm. Natalia does. Um, oh, he invited her in. Mm -hmm. And he oh, wasn't yes. dressed. Remember yes. him? Yes. Um, he was watching a very sexual video. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking if he could watch something else. And he just said, no, 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 just watch it. Mm -hmm. And she says, thankfully, he let me go, but I had seen enough. I was very uncomfortable. Yeah. That could have gone yeah. wrong really quickly. And who knows, maybe it did. Yeah. But here's the point. She's like sitting at this halfway house, probably being exposed to lots of sexual stuff. Mm -hmm. She's been sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. Presumably, from what we know about her experiences in the orphanage, in the orphanage yeah. she's had sh tampons shoved in her by mm -hmm. Christine trying to draw blood and say, oh, see, you're 22. You just had your period. Um, she has these creepy old men inviting these eight-year-old girls in. I don't know if you watch um, To Catch a Predator or these YouTube videos about these older men preying on young girls. They jump on the internet mm -hmm. and they're like well, 12 I've, years old and those kinds of things. Yeah, I've read about them, but I haven't really watched. It's disturbing. I didn't know um, in YouTube <laughs> there was... Oh yeah, the, those videos are the best. Like they have these people, mm -hmm. and they, uh, they, they basically uh, bake them in, a, uh, like having these conversations with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm 12. Is that okay? Oh, it's just fine with me. I don't yeah. want to get into trouble. Just keep this between just you, me, me and you. I read that yesterday. There was one big, uh, you know, they one big raid, and they just get yeah. them all at once. And it was like a hundred and something people in Florida. There's I, a lot of um, YouTubers that make a career out of like setting this up and they work with law enforcement. Yeah. They pose like as a 15 as a year old girl or 12 mm -hmm. a child. And this predator comes like looking for sexual stuff and they embarrass them. And that's how they make mm -hmm. their YouTube and the, with law enforcement and all. Um, no, like, so many things in YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's lots of crazy people out there. So, but the, the neighbor corroborates um, that man. He was a creepy old man. Um, some other lady was going to get her mail and he walked by and was standing there just completely in the nude. Maybe he was doing like the helicopter or something. I don't know. Natalia never complained about any of these things. Um, she was always talking about being with guys and sex. I don't think that she really cared that much that he was doing that, which I mean, this older lady, fine, but I'm kind of looking at her as, okay, grandma, somebody yes. don't let her drink too much wine, you know? And I mean, she's a child. I mean, but they have her on here, but these were her neighbors, right? Yes. Exactly. It at least illustrates that fact. That was who she was around. They they video Antoine coming in to give Natalia a hug and comfort mm -hmm. her after having talked about all of this stuff. Um, Beth comes in. She says that the Barnetts received notice that Natalia 
is actually a dependent because of her disability because of that statue that we uh, read. Yes. And it's like, Surprise. hey, um, dip S, <laughs> you're still on the hook, mm -hmm. right? And, and um, the attorneys wrote a letter in uh, reference to that. They're mm -hmm. still on the hook. This is what the letter said. I want you to imagine what you would have written in response to this mm -hmm. demand letter or this mm -hmm. meet and confer letter from counsel. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would have written something so much. I love these letters, man. I've made it an art form. How I respond to other attorneys. Oh, I love it, man. But this is what they say. And I would have had so much to say. Um, so this is the Barnett's attorneys. Okay. It is my understanding that you believe Natalia is a minor and wish her to be a ward of the state. However, that belief is both false and not in Natalia's best interest. The bone skin that you base your assumption on is an improper basis for aging a woman with dwarfism, like Natalia. As you can see from the enclosed summary, Natalia's form of dwarfism, called however you pronounce it, mm -hmm. interferes with her bo bone development and connective tissue such that a bone scan will give distorted result and make Natalia appear younger than her real age. Regardless of the bone scan, the issue of Natalia's actual age has already been decided on the Marion County Probate Court when it, it amended Natalia's birth certificate and found her to be 23 years old. The court's decision was based upon the medical recommendations of multiple doctors who all agree that Natalia is an adult and my client's motivation in establishing Natalia's age was to obtain the truth to protect Natalia and the rest of her family and provide the opportunity for Natalia to obtain the adult treatment that she needs. And it's like, first of all, counselor, name these multiple doctors that made mm -hmm. this recommendation because all I see is the one. Yeah. I have like 12 others that suggest she's like between six and nine years old. Furthermore, that finding was the result of an ex-party hearing where mm -hmm. Natalia was not represented. Oh, I would have, well, I know I don't have a lot of time. I'm just saying I would have responded in kind. Who cares if she's 22 or eight? Yeah. She still has the disability. The disability. It's like, well. That's what makes her dependent. I, I would have just said, <laughs> this, is, this is my thing. Every time counsel tries to come at me like that, whether mm -hmm. it be in court or in a letter, it's like, yeah. well, um, you are certainly entitled to argue that. Mm -hmm. And I guess we'll see you at the next hearing. Yeah. Present those arguments. Let's mm -hmm. see how it goes. And why don't you exactly. show me how it's done? <laughs> I love I love saying because there's no like well I yeah. hear you, I, you know what let's uh let's explore that why don't mm -hmm. you go down that path argue that and let's see what happens, um. At the conclusion of episode three, mm -hmm. Natalia talks about the overdose. Remember, so yes, the deputy prosecutor gets in says uh, did Christine ever check on Natalia? This is at the deposition when she was living in the apartment. Uh, Michael says yes, she did in person. Here's Natalia's story. Mm -hmm. So I was living in the, in the first apartment in Tippecanoe. I was taking medicine, three different pills for the mental stuff they said I had. I remember waking up, which is confusing because mm -hmm. we just heard from the Rue that there was nothing medically wrong with her. I don't know mm -hmm. what they prescribed her, but they prescribed her to something. something. So there's some discrepancy there. But um, she was taking medication. I remember waking up, taking the pill, and then I fell back to sleep because the medicine made me really sleepy. About an hour later... Christine came pounding on the door. She asked why I was still sleeping. I told her I was tired. Christine was very on edge that day. Did you take your medicine? Yes, I did. I don't believe you. She literally got my medicine, gave it to me, gave me a water bottle and was like, here, take it. And I was taking it. She turned, but I remember she didn't look at me, but I did take it. I turned 
back around and she asked if I took the medicine and said, well, I told her, yes, I took it. She says, mm -hmm. I don't believe mm -hmm. you. Take it again. So she's now taken three doses of this medication. And then she recounts how um, she, she goes to the bathroom. She falls down. She was so dizzy. I couldn't even walk or see straight. I felt sick. I was dizzy. My eyes were going cross. And then I fell asleep. I blacked out for hours until about 2 a.m. And this is basically the, the equivalent of a seven-year-old taking an adult, adult drug, three different pills each time, nine pills total, um, three times in that day. She almost died of an overdose. And that it was the conclusion. like some sort of like sedative to make her, I don't know, maybe drowsy or more calm or something like that. Maybe it was a sedative. That makes sense. Yeah. If it was a sedative, I, they never identify what it was. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been able to figure out what it was my subsequent um, research, but that was the conclusion of episode three. And if you've been following us all along for episode three, you're going to want to stick around because we're about to record episode four right now. So if this is all, if you're just following along, thank you so much for making it this long. We mm -hmm. will see you all on the next episode where we review episode four and we'll see you all then. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.